The call of God, that's, a, that's something that has been discussed, prayed about, sought after, denied, accepted, and answered by believers for thousands of years. The call of God. Just hearing those words for some brings to mind something life-changing, you know, for, some, for others maybe something exciting. And yet for many, something very mysterious and elusive. The call of God is a part of the journey of every believer. It was certainly a part, a big part, of Moses' journey. And that's the subject of our message today. We're continuing our sermon series entitled The Journey with our third installment this morning. And as you know, if you've been here the past couple of weeks, we're paralleling the life and journey of Moses with the journey of every follower of Christ. It's a journey that began with salvation, followed by a stand that he took for God and righteousness, and today we arrive at the call of God in Moses' life and on our lives. So let's turn to Exodus chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, and we'll have it up on the screen as well. Exodus chapter 3, starting on verse 1, and we're going to pick up our text where we left off last week as we finished out chapter 2. So Exodus 3, 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, or Horev, as it's pronounced in the Hebrew, the mountain of God. Okay, so Moses is herding sheep for his father-in-law Jethro, who, by the way, is referred to as Reuel in chapter 2 of Exodus and Hovav in Judges chapter 4. It's all the same guy. Okay, it was a common ancient Near Eastern practice to assign multiple names to the same person. And most likely, Hovav was, was probably his actual name. Reuel and Jethro were probably titles. Reuel means friend of God or one who is intimate with God. Okay, Jethro means his abundance. So these were most likely titles assigned to the priest of Midian, whose given name was more than likely Hovav. All right, but we'll refer to him as Jethro for now, since that's how Moses refers to him in our text. So Moses is herding Jethro's flock, and it says that he led them to Horeb, or Horev, the mountain of God. And this turns out to be a very significant and sacred place for Moses. This is the same mountain as Mount Sinai. Okay, so again, multiple names. Horev, Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, it's all the same place. This is the place where Moses encounters God at the burning bush, as we'll see in a minute. The same place where Aaron meets Moses when he returns from Midian. It's the same place where God meets Moses and gives him the law. Okay? This was a sacred mountain, a sacred place. It was a place where Moses consistently met with God. And that is significant to us because if we pay attention throughout Scripture... There were these sacred places where God met with his people, and this mountain was one of them. The temple was another. Uh, a garden, the fiery furnace, in an upper room, right? It was anywhere that the people gathered in the presence of the Lord, and that's, that's just as true today as it was then. It could be your living room. It could be your, your kitchen or a favorite spot in your yard, or by a lake where you routinely meet with God. And it isn't the physical location, of course, that makes it sacred. It's the presence of God Almighty, right? That's why I'll be very honest that I love and always have church sanctuaries. It's not because of the architecture or the stage or the sound or 
the green pews? It's because the sanctuary is a place where the people of God regularly gather in his presence and worship him together. And that's very sacred to me. Not because of the sign outside says church on it, but because this is where we gather as a family, a community of faith, and we fellowship with him and with each other and praise and worship him together. Mount Sinai was Moses' little brick building at number two Church Street. Okay, This was a very special place for him, just as our church meeting place should be for us, wherever that is. All right, So let's uh, move on to verse 2, uh, still chapter 3, and we'll talk about the call. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was not burning, yet it was, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. Again, it's sacred because God is there. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Smart guy. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So here we see Moses receiving his calling. And to make a distinction, there is a universal calling, and then there is a personal calling, I believe, for every Christian. This was his personal individual calling for Moses, okay? But let's take a minute and talk about the universal calling for all of us. In the universal sense, we're all called by God to be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? Matthew 29, 19, and 20, the Great Commission. Jesus says to his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is a universal calling to all believers, every disciple of Christ. We're all to be about this business of spreading the gospel. Some question that. But taken on the whole, the New Testament teaching, and particularly in Paul's letters to the churches and the epistles, I don't believe that there's any question that every Christian is responsible for being a part of the discipleship process by exercising the spiritual gifts that God has given them. What I do believe has been lost in our culture, especially in the past couple of decades, is the truth that this expression of carrying out the Great Commission in the universal sense is to be done primarily through the church, not primarily by individual or personal evangelism. Okay, There are those who are expressly called to be evangelists, to be certain. And they are to personally evangelize. But just walk through the New Testament from the book of Acts forward. 
And you'll see that the discipleship process was predominantly accomplished through the body of Christ as the church, not by individual testimonies and personal evangelism. It's a fact. Read the book of Acts. People were being added to the church daily, not because individuals were hitting the streets and telling others about Jesus. It doesn't say that. What it does say is that in the general sense, the believers were exhibiting a greatly changed character in their lives because of what God was doing in them, which was expressed by their very generous sharing with each other and taking care of one another and meeting each other's needs within the church. There were those who were sent out from them, definitely, Stephen, Peter, Philip, Paul. They were sent out to do missionary work and evangelistic work, which speaks to individual calling, which we're going to cover next. But clearly, the Great Commission was being fulfilled through the church as a body. People saw what was happening in the church, people outside of it. They knew it was different unlike anything else that they'd ever seen, and they wanted to be a part of it. And then in Paul's letters to the churches, we see a tremendous amount of exhortation by Paul to the churches regarding the behavior and character of the believers inside the church, and almost no instruction about going outside the church and individually sharing their faith. Did you know that? Now, there are a handful of passages in the epistles that instruct us to be prepared to share our faith and ready to rebuke bad doctrine and so forth. So let's be clear, I'm not saying that you don't ever have to share your faith with others individually. We are certainly supposed to do that whenever God gives us the opportunity, for sure. No question. But what I'm trying to say, the point I'm making is that Scripture clearly shows us that the primary vehicle for carrying out the Great Commission is the church, the body of believers, the family of God, working together far more than it is in us individually working for God. This is God's design for us. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27, for, for just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. You can claim to be your own man all that you want to. But if you're a believer, you're a part of the body, whether you like it or not. You can't claim to not be a part of the body. That's what he's saying. We are all a part of this one body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts. That's us. But there's one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. 
If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it, okay? Our culture is so stuck on individualism today. We don't like talking about submission and authority in the church and the mandate for us all to be a part of the church. An active participant I'm talking about in the fellowship of believers. I'm not talking about members of a building. And I realize, by the way, that I'm preaching to the choir here because, well, you're here. So it's good, but I'm simply trying to make the point that we'd often rather talk about personal responsibility because that precludes us from having to, uh, to work together and rely on each other in order to fulfill God's calling. But without question, according to Scripture, the most powerful and effective ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to be expressed through the church working together, not by individuals working alone. Even the great Apostle Paul spent most of his ministry working with others. He called them co-laborers in the faith. Okay? Furthermore, the Great Commission isn't simply just about evangelism, although that's what we've made it about in many of our ministries. He did not say, go therefore and introduce people to me so that they can have a personal relationship with God. It's not what it says. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. There's a lot more to that than evangelism. That's part of it. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe what? All that I've commanded you. There's a much greater implication there than simply evangelism. Okay? And we see that as the New Testament progresses, we see this great commission being accomplished through the church as a body. That meant far more than simply making converts. That is much, much more than just getting people saved. Okay? Making disciples, teaching them to observe all that he's commanded us means devoting our lives to other spiritual growth and maturity. The great commission is much more than an evangelistic mission. It's a lifelong process of discipleship with others. And it is a universal call to all believers through the church. Okay? Does that make sense? Now, we're almost on the fringes here of an entirely different study if we keep going down this path. And we'll do that at some point, but not today. So all of that, which we just talked about, speaks to a universal calling of every believer, okay, as a member of the church of Jesus Christ. It's why he talks so much about body and parts, all right, because we were meant to function together. Now, let's go back and talk about calling in the personal sense, because I do believe <clears throat> that we also see a pattern in Scripture of God individually calling people and gifting them and empowering them to carry out his will. And that is certainly what we see with Moses and others in the Bible. So if we finish, <clears throat> if we finish out 1 Corinthians 12, the, the, the scripture I was just reading, verses 28 through 31 says, And God has appointed in the church, again, these are personal callings now, he's talking about individual callings, that are expressed through the church still. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? 
Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Obviously, we see here that there are callings and there are gifts given individually in the very personal sense. Two individuals. Now, quickly, let's just read Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, and we'll just finish this part of the point. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He's speaking to the church. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Who's over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. This is church work, if you want to think of it that way. I don't mean in the traditional sense, okay? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Listen to what he's saying. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes what the foot grow, just make the ear grow, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is a description of the Great Commission at work in the church this is what it's about growing up in him all working together every joint intended connected doing our part to work together as one body effectively to build up the body of Christ this is the great commission evangelism is a part of that without doubt without question absolutely but it's so much more than that and our individual callings are meant to be used through the church as a conduit, as a part of the body. See, when we're each doing our part, what we're called to do individually, the body functions as it's supposed to. All right? We see here that we're called and equipped in a very personal and individual sense in these passages so that we can properly function in and through the body, the church, in order to do what? The will of God. And just one more side note here. Just to clarify everything that I say today about calling relates to the message of Jesus Christ. Your calling, if it is indeed truly uh, from God, will always convey the message of Jesus Christ. So if you ever wonder, because I have people say, I, I feel this sense of calling, but I don't know if it's God or not. There's a great litmus test to start with. Does it clearly convey the message of Christ to the world? Moses' message was one of salvation. 
and so must ours be. So just remember, it is always and all about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is central to everything that I'm teaching today. Okay? So know that. I think you know that. But I wanted to clear that up before we continue. So let's go back now to Moses and talk about his personal calling and how that relates to us today and the the personal calling for each one of us. Okay? We'll see that this individual calling can not only define our role in the church in the kingdom of God, but it also includes often specific instructions about how we're to answer that calling, all right? And one of the first lessons that we pick up from the story of Moses in regard to his personal calling is pay attention to the call when it comes because it may come in a way that you never expected. All right? Pay attention to the call. It may come in a way that you never expected. In Exodus 3, which we just read 2 through 4, We see that Moses was out tending to his father-in-law's flock, and he sees this bush on fire. You've probably heard this in church before, but more than likely, it wasn't just the fact that there was a burning bush that caught Moses' attention, because it may have been fairly common to see a dry bush in an arid climate on fire in the wilderness from time to time. And so Moses could have easily dismissed it as a normal occurrence and moved on. But the last part of verse 2 and verse 3 says, He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Okay? So this is fairly interesting stuff here. He's out in the, in the middle of nowhere. He doesn't have cell reception. He doesn't have Wi-Fi. The battery on his iPod is dead. He's probably really bored. He's hanging out with a bunch of sheep. The conversation can't be that great. <laughs> Although I've seen people try. And he sees something strange, and he decides to check it out. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out to the bush. Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. I don't think that Moses was necessarily looking for a calling at this point in his life. He was 80 years old. He blew it in Egypt 40 years earlier. He was now living out an entirely different life with a wife and family. But to his credit, he was paying attention. And his calling came in a way that he could have never expected. In fact, this is a pattern with God. Moses' call came from a burning bush when he wasn't necessarily looking for a calling. Paul, or Saul's calling, came in a blinding light. He wasn't looking for a calling. David's calling came through a prophet who had to have him brought in from the fields. David wasn't looking for a calling. Gideon's calling came from an angel sitting under an oak tree while Gideon was processing wheat inside of a wine press. He wasn't looking for a calling. Rob's calling came from a phone call by a board member of a church in Alaska when I wasn't looking for a calling. It's a pattern with God. My family and I, for those of you who haven't been here long, went to Alaska to serve at a large church there a few years ago as the full-time worship pastor. And I was content to remain a full-time worship guy. That's what I went there to do. That's what I wanted to do. I, it was good. Everything was good. I was writing and playing music and leading a band and, and a church and worship vocationally full-time. And I was very happy with that. I had no intention of ever doing anything any different. And in a a few short months, it was a big church, the other five full-time pastors at the church left. There wasn't any problem. 
with the church. There wasn't any big scandal. They just moved on to other churches and other ministries as the Lord was leading them. I didn't know why at the time. All I knew was that all of a sudden I was the only pastor at this large church and I was the music guy. <laughs> Nobody was looking to me with any sense of great expectation that I was going to be able to fill the role, let alone all the roles there that had been vacated. I promise you, I wasn't expecting me to fill all the roles that had been vacated. Looking back now, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that at least part of the reason that I was left as the sole pastor of that church was because God was going to use my circumstances to bring my attention to a greater calling in my life that I wasn't looking for, okay? I was sitting in my office one day working on the music for the following Sunday and my phone rang and it was the head of the board at the church and he said, hey, Pastor Rob, how's it going? I said, it's good, Scott, how are you? He said, I'm doing great, I have a question for you. And I said, sure, shoot. He said, can you preach? I said, when? He said, no, I mean like ever. Are you able to preach? And they had heard me do some teaching before, so they knew I could talk, but never consistently, you know, on a weekly basis. I said, yeah, I can preach. When do you want me to fill in? And he goes, well, how about every Sunday? I said, okay. The truth is, at that moment, I had no idea what I was getting into. But I loved our church deeply. And if I could help by preaching every week, then I was going to give it all I had. What transpired is nothing that I could have ever predicted, nor could have anyone at the church at the time. And through that process of leading that church and teaching and preaching and leading worship and performing weddings and counseling and praying for the sick at the hospital and dedicating babies and baptizing new Christians, I was doing everything. I realized that there was a calling on my life by God, a greater calling, to lead the church as a pastor. You know, beyond just the music. I wasn't looking for that when it happened. I was trying to help out. But when it happened, because I was paying attention, my wife was paying attention, we were listening for God, as the church was obviously in a significant time of transition, we knew that this was more than a temporary gig. We knew that God was showing us our future, or at least part of it. Okay? And over a relatively short period of time, as we continued leading that church, my wife and I, as we prayed and fasted, were very clearly directed by the Holy Spirit to number two Church Street, Travelers Rest, South Carolina, to plant Upcountry Church. And I don't have time to tell you that story, but it's crazy how we even ended up here. When we moved to Alaska, we thought we'd probably be there long term, like maybe for good. We were looking at houses to buy, leading worship, being the music guy. But God knew otherwise, you see. It was all preparation for this. I went to Alaska, had a business degree. I was a music guy, it didn't matter. I immediately enrolled in, enrolled in Bible college and completed a bachelor's degree in biblical studies and then I went to seminary in England and I've been going back and forth to England for three years. I'm finishing up a master's degree in theology. None of that was in the plan. I, I went to Alaska to lead the music. I ended up leading the church and going to seminary. None of that was part of our plan when we moved there. But it was always God's plan. And thankfully, we were paying attention. And every time he presented an opportunity for us, we took it and said, okay, Lord, now what? And it's gone just like that right up to now. Yeah, as a 40-year-old husband and father of three, 
with an established business, successful business, I never thought I'd be selling everything I'd worked really hard to attain and completely start over at this point in my life. I wasn't looking for that calling, but I was paying attention when it came. The point is that it doesn't matter how old you are or where you are in your present stage of life and family. If God is calling you, pay attention. Because it may well come in a way and at a time that you never expected, okay? Secondly, it's really important that when he calls you, that you trust in the one who calls you. Don't run from him and don't doubt him. Let's continue uh, with Moses chapter 3 and we'll pick up where we stopped in verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now, I'd say, given the task that God just outlined for Moses to do, that's a fairly fair question to ask. Who, who am I? What can I do? But God's response here clearly shows that it's far less important to know who we are and what we're capable of and far more important to understand who it is that is calling us and what he is capable of. And the most important part of the equation is the first part of God's response. Verse 12. He said, but I will be with you. That's all you need to know, really. I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Again, this is actually a fairly sensible question by Moses because you have to understand that in Egypt at this time, polytheism and pantheism were rampant. You know, they worshipped all a bunch of different gods. The Egyptians were sure to ask Moses when he came, what God is sending you? And so Moses is asking, who are you? Okay? 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. <laughs> okay. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I've observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. It just keeps getting better. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver, gold, and jewelry, for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and daughters so you shall plunder the Egyptians. You know, when you move out of your house and go somewhere else, wouldn't it be nice if you could just go to your neighbor and say, hand it over. I'll take the gold. I'll take the jewelry. 
Even though Moses was questioning God here, and some of it was reasonable in a sense, he's not real keen on what God is telling him to do here, as we'll see in a moment. And it's somewhat amazing to me, in another sense, that Moses is standing here as God speaks directly to him out of a burning bush in the middle of nowhere, and he decides he's going to make an argument with God, you know? Like, what point, which part of this are you thinking you're really going to win? He's God, not to mention that you're standing in front of a giant ball of fire having this conversation. But nonetheless, Moses decides to make his case for why he can't do it. And the truth is, Moses can't do it on his own strength. But when God calls us, he gives us the strength to carry out the calling. Remember, Matthew 28, 20, Jesus said, Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Okay, the end of the age hasn't happened yet. He's with us always. And if he's called you to do his work, how much more will he be with you? So there's a sense of futility and even absurdity to Moses arguing with God here. But we, we do that too, don't we? God, I'm not worthy. Who, who am I to lead this church? I, I can't do that, right? Sometimes we give God lots of excuses as to why we can't do what he's called us to do. And here Moses is doing the same thing. Okay, let's continue. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And Moses said, Uh, a staff? <laughs> he's holding a stick. I love it when God asks people questions in the Bible. Because you know he already knows the answer. He knows everything. So why ask the question? Because he's trying to get us to wake up to the fact that he has everything under control. He's equipped us. He's outfitted us for the job. It's like he's saying to Moses, hey, man, pay attention. All right? Let's continue. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put it inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do these signs. 
Okay, so just to sum up Moses' conversation with God here. Moses, who am I? God, I will be with you and I sent you. Moses, who are you? God, I am who I am and I am has sent you. Moses, what if the people don't believe me? God, if they do not believe you, they will believe the signs I give you. Moses, I'm not able to speak well. God, I made your mouth and I'll teach you what to say. Moses, send someone else, please. God, rather angry. Your brother Aaron will help you speak. <laughs> Moses pulls out all the stops and tries everything he can think of to dissuade God as if that's possible. I'll tell you, I've seen too many Christians turn away from their calling because they either felt they were inadequate, which they are, we all are, without God, or they begin to doubt the call. They didn't trust God, and ultimately, they turned aside. This is a tragedy, and it happens all too often, in my opinion. Listen, if the God of the universe, he who created the heavens and the earth and everything in them, the same God that spoke worlds into existence and knit the very fabric of mankind and angels into being, if that same God has called you to do his bidding, you'd better get it settled right now in your heart and mind. You can trust him to provide for all your need and all your shortcomings, all your lack and all your doubt. The God that created you is big enough and capable enough to take care of you and see you through this journey. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, we have to pay attention to the call because it might come in a way that we never expected it to when we're not even looking for it. And we have to trust the one who calls us. And finally, and I'll go quickly, we have to heed the call because the call is God's doing. But the answer is our doing. Heed the call. The call's God's doing. The answer is our doing. We must heed the call. He's not going to make you do it. He'll give you the grace and the strength and the courage and the wisdom and the discernment and the protection and the provision. But you must be the one to go. The call is God's doing. The answer is our doing. Moses finally figured this out after all the arguing with God, trying to convince him that he made a mistake and chose the wrong guy. Moses finally gets it. Verse 18. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they're still alive. I can almost hear him. <laughs> sort of defeated. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses, in Midian, go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. He finally gets it. That didn't mean that everything was golden after that. There was still plenty of struggle and hardship and hard work, but there was unbelievable blessing and fulfillment, as we'll see in the coming weeks as we go down this road with Moses. Listen, I believe that some of you here today know that you've been called by God to do something very specific, and you're hard at it. You're, you're pursuing that calling without hesitation, and yet there are times of doubt, frustration, and questioning. You know, did I, did I make the right decision? Where's the provision going to come from? 
this month? How are we going to make it? Believe me, I've had many of those moments over the past several years. It hasn't been easy for us, but it's been wonderful because I know that I'm exactly where God wants me, doing exactly what he wants me to do. There's no better place for you to be. So it's okay to have those, those thoughts. In fact, it's completely okay to have those thoughts. God wants you to be honest with him. Just don't give in to those doubts and don't give up on your calling. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 20. I think there are some of you here today who believe that God is calling you and you're scared half to death because you can't see how that calling can ever work with your situation, your life, your family, your income. Look, if God can be trusted to raise the sun every morning and the moon every night, if he can bring forth the summer rains and rest for the winter and new life every spring, don't you think you can trust him to meet all of your needs and provide for every single aspect of your calling? My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19 And finally, there may be some of you here who are wondering what, if anything, you're called to. And maybe even in frustration, you've given up seeking that. Look, don't worry about reinventing yourself so that you can somehow make yourself more qualified for the calling that he has for you. You are called. We are all called by God, personally and specifically. I believe that. So just pay attention and be attentive to the Lord, and he will call you right where you are. It might come in a way that you weren't expecting it to, but that's okay. He so often uses us right where we are to fulfill his divine calling. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. 1 Corinthians 7, 17. We are all called by God, unless you worry that you somehow missed it because you've messed things up or you somehow weren't good enough at the time he was calling you Romans eleven twenty nine, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable God is calling you personally individually and specifically and he's provided everything that you need to realize that calling in your life and ultimately that calling will be expressed through you as you function as a member of the church of Jesus Christ, okay? Okay, I hope this word encourages you today because as long as we have breath, he has a calling for every one of us, all right? Let's pray.